Thank you for coming. Ah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. And we were talking earlier, and we are going to be discussing addiction mm. and mental health mm -hmm. and kind of how you started that journey and then how it brought you all the way back to where you are now. Mm -hmm. um, you and I worked together a few years ago. Yeah. And even from that point, from when I knew you, which was about 10 years ago, it had to be maybe a little more. It was close, yeah. No, it is. It's it's. I'm horrible oh, with dates, so no. But I'm thinking. If you're telling me ten, it's ten. <laughs> yeah, it's almost ten years ago. Okay. So even from when I met you, where we work to now, mm. like I've just watched your whole life change completely, drastically. Yeah, and back then you were doing well because you were, you had just gotten sober, or you were already sober. No, when I first met you, when um, you first met me. You I was definitely not sober. You weren't sober yet nah. because I can remember we went out for Christmas. Yeah. I we uh, went to a restaurant together, but right after that. Yeah, I think I got sober probably like two years after I met you. Yeah. Something like that because I do remember us going out as a group um, mm -hmm. to drink at a couple different places. So, yeah, it would, probably like two years after I met you. Okay. And you were saying when we were talking earlier, you were saying it kind of started – when you took the when you did the the look back yeah i gotta remember not to uh, keep clicking my oh that's okay <laughs> um sometimes i got i yeah so i mean my my addiction story it really starts very early mm -hmm. um and you know i do practice a program i'm not going to mention the program because you know you're not supposed to or whatever but i think we all know what we're talking about yeah and you know, I had aunts and uncles in that program. Um, my one uncle, it really didn't work for him, and he wound up dying of alcoholism. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I found him uh, in the house, which was, you know. How old were you? You thought it was, that would have probably been a wake-up call for me, but it wasn't. But how old were you when you found mm, I think I was 19 or 20. No, I was, I was probably like 20, 21. Mm. Sorry, I told you I'm bad with dates. So I was 21-ish. Um, so even at that point, um, you know, I didn't it didn't click that this is something that maybe I needed to take a look at because I was just really 21. Right. Um, my drinking and doing drugs career started way, way, way before that, though. Um, backstory. Yeah. My father was, he had polio as a kid. Okay. So he worked, uh, he walked, sorry, with what they call Canadian canes. So they're the crutches that actually hook to your forearm. Yes. Yep. And he walked with those almost, you know, my whole childhood. And then I got to probably around fifth grade, mm -hmm. he fell and broke his leg. Oh, so then he he was struggling to walk, and then he started to use a wheelchair. The moment he went into the wheelchair, his health, in my opinion, declined. Right. Because it's the whole body's in motion, stay in motion mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. And I'm a firm believer of that today. Like, my mom is, you know, about to have heart surgery and stuff like that. Um, she was walking with a walker, mm -hmm. and I told her to stop. Okay. Go back to your cane. 
you know, if it's a balance issue or whatever. I mean, I'm not trying to be like, hey, don't use your walker if it's unsafe. No, but I But know she was using mean. it as a crutch. Yeah. And I said to her, I go, you're going to put yourself in the same position that dad was in, where it's like you slowly start to decline. Mm -hmm. Don't do that to yourself. Mm -hmm. And I'm preaching about this as a fat person. So this makes it <laughs> more ironic, right? But, you know, it, I know what I need to do. Right. I just don't. I'm lazy. But, but it's always easier for, for us to see something very quickly in someone else than we see it in ourselves. Yeah, that for sure. It doesn't mean what we're telling them isn't true. But... When I was a kid, um, I was in fourth grade. We had bought a VCR when they first came out. Like mm -hmm. my my dad was infatuated with the whole "Holy cow, we can tape all our TV shows." Yeah, this is the greatest thing ever. And we went to Marty Plavins. I can't remember the name of yeah. the place. It's in Levittown. And he bought a VCR, and him and I brought it home, and. Uh, we started to set it up and I said, dad, I got to go to the bathroom. I got to go to the bathroom. He's like, all right, whatever. He didn't care. Yeah. I come back down the stairs and he was like flopping on the floor and yeah. he had a full blown seizure. From that point forward, his health just kept declining, declining, declining. So by the time I was 13 or 14, um, it was really bad. Right. The summer after sixth grade into seventh grade, right. I had older kids in my neighborhood that were drinking and smoking pot. Mm -hmm. And they made it seem like it was the greatest thing ever. Right. So, yeah, there was probably a little bit of peer pressure involved with that. But to me, it was like I did it and it took away some of the thoughts about my dad. Right. Well, what had happened was my mom was a nurse in the ER at our local hospital. So every time my dad would go to the hospital, which seemed like it was probably once a month, mm -hmm. he was in the hospital for you know, a couple of days to a week. There's nobody to watch me because my mom worked night shift. Oh, oh. Mm -hmm. So I was running and gunning. And it's crazy because at my house, my parents didn't drink. There was no alcohol in my house. Well, there was. I'll t get to that in a second. But they didn't drink. Like, there wasn't like, you know, you would go buy beers and... Have they would, dinner. Right. Yeah. Like, I remember them maybe when I was a kid doing, like, the aunts and uncles thing where they would have, like, you know, a couple of drinks or something and, you know, we would all go home. Right. Which is... <laughs> You know, can't do that can't now. Can't do that now. <laughs> but back then, you know, I mean, Christ, you weren't even wearing seatbelts and you were strapped into a car with, uh, you know, whatever. And mm -hmm. my dad smoked with the windows up. And, oh, yeah. You know what I mean? He had cologne on and he was smoking his Benson and Hedges with no windows open. I, it's a wonder I don't have emphysema. Uh, with <laughs> us, it was Marlboro's always. Yeah. So, you know, at that point, it was like, okay, well, I, I was drinking and doing things with the neighborhood kids. I did find at one time, somebody had bought my dad. My dad collected um, antique car models. Yes. And ducks. Okay. Somebody had bought him a duck, and it was this porcelain duck, and I only found it because I, I, it was my job to dust them off. Right. Because he was in a wheelchair. Right. I, 
one of them was a Canadian whiskey. I was going to say it had alcohol in it. And I was like, oh, man. So. Here we go, jackpot. You know, I started drinking that. And then every time I would take a bunch out, I would actually put water in there. Right. So by the end, it was like, you know, it's the weakest whiskey and water you ever had in your entire <laughs> life. Um, but yeah, so, you know, we kind of progressed from there where it was like on weekends, we would camp out at somebody's house or we would say we were going somewhere. We would go to parties and, you know, which now that I look back at it and go, you know, you're a 13 year old kid hanging out with seniors and college kids. Mm. Like, I don't know why, you know, mentally I thought that was okay or whatever at the time, but I also look at it and go, what were those older kids thinking? Like, what, what are these young kids here? Or maybe they just didn't care. You know what? I, I, sometimes I think it was a different mindset, even though you and I are 10 years apart. Cause I know growing up where, where I did, mm -hmm. we were all different ages and we all hung out together. Well, you know, if we were playing ball, we were all playing ball. If whatever we were doing, you know, even the older siblings would come out mm. and be sitting with us. And I, I think maybe it was just a different mindset back then. I think a lot of it had to do with um, where I grew up to. Mm -hmm. So I grew up in Western PA and really there was nothing for us to do except like drink, fist fight, play football. Right. So that was kind of like our, our like goal in life. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, so I mean, you know, it, it kind of went from there, and then I wound up being friends with older kids that, um, you know, would be more than happy to get us alcohol. Mm. Or I got a hold of people that would sell weed mm -hmm. to me, and then I found a guy that would sell a lot of weed to me, <laughs> and then I would do what I had to do to make money, mm. and... um then I would turn that money into an old guy that lived in this like little blank and you would drive through a town. He's dead now, so I could probably talk about this. He would get us kegs. Oh, okay. So I would, I would spend like 60 or 70 bucks. I don't remember what it was. Back then, I think it was like 75 bucks for a 16 of Miller Genuine Draft. Okay. And then I would charge two bucks a cup. Right. So now you were starting to. Yeah. So it turned into it. a business. Right. And then, you know, if the keg ran out, then we would take that money and we would go buy another one. But it was mainly about like drinking. Mm -hmm. So at the time, I really didn't put any thought into it. I thought it was just, you know, I was just having a good time. But in reality, I was covering it up. And how um, old were you when you were doing all that at that point? Um. From 15 until I was, you know, high school, graduated okay. high school. Okay. You know, um, <laughs> I, my sister thinks it's a joke that I was the homecoming king of mm -hmm. my high school. I remember you showed me that picture. Yeah, and to be honest with you, it had nothing to do with, like, I hate even talking about it. I'm only bringing it up because it kind of solidifies a point right now. Yeah. But it's not something I would normally bring up because I don't, I think there's this like negative connotation with mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. that you're like this preppy jock dude that, you know, was like this snooty, nah, man, not at all. Mm -hmm. First of all, it started as a joke because I had mentioned at a party one time that if I won Homecoming King, I wouldn't even go to the damn dance because I never went to any of the dances. Right. So then I think 
that kind of turned into there were some people that were like, oh, we're going to nominate him. But I did play football, and you know what I mean? But I wasn't that guy. Mm-hmm. That wasn't my thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I won that and because, A, it was a joke, but, B, it was because I had partied with everybody in that school okay. that was into that. Mm-hmm. I didn't care if you were a jock or a preppy or nerd or stoner or what. Didn't matter to me, dude. Mm-hmm. We were all hanging out, having a good time. Right. And then, you know, it just kind of progressed from there. Um, I started touring with bands. I think I was 19. Mm-hmm. Got a little heavier. Mm-hmm. Um, I decided at one point I wanted to go to college. Again, because right. I did go to college from the time I was 18 to 19. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my dad passed away at 19. And I went through crazy depression. To me, it was like I spent five years watching my dad die. And I tried to bury those feelings with alcohol and drugs. Right. Still didn't think I had a problem. And then I did decide to go back to school. And um, I needed a part-time job. And I, man, I had some, like, (laughs) you told me I could talk about anything, so. Yeah. Unsilenced, unashamed, unstoppable. I worked at a gas station on the turnpike for a short time. Right. Which was crazy within itself. And then I went from there to working at a porn shop. Wow. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I don't even know this about you. I think I have to have a yeah. Can I can a bottle of water? So <laughs> I did work at a porn shop for short spell. Okay. I didn't have to mop the booths. I oh told my the God, guy. I cannot believe you went there. I told the guy flat out. I said, "Look, I'll take the job, but I'm not mopping booths, man. <laughs> so I got to draw the line somewhere." And I did. <laughs> So he used to have some homeless guy or whatever that would come in in the mornings and mop booths for him. Oh, gosh. Um, but, you know, there was, I ran into a lot of crazy people oh, doing the job. It was, uh, I cannot even imagine. No, I can't nuts. imagine. Yeah. Um, but that guy got caught. I guess he was stealing credit card numbers or something like mm. that, that it turned into a bad deal with that guy. Um, I turned 21. In December. Oh, so you were doing all this before you were 21? Yeah. You were working at a porn shop before you were 21? Oh, yeah. I turned 21 <laughs> in December. I applied for a, a bouncer job mm-hmm. in March mm-hmm. at a strip club. They called me in. They were like, yeah, you're hired. And they handed me a set of keys. And I'm like, why would a bouncer need a set of keys? Right. What what What's going on here? They hired me to be the manager of a strip club. I was 21 years At old. 21 years old. Yeah. I think I worked there for like a year before the owner found out. She was like, how old are you? And I'm like, um, 21. And I was like, "You did you not read my resume? Like, you know Apparently what I mean? Like not. I, <laughs> we still laugh about it because I'm still friends with her. Mm-hmm. But she was like, oh, my God, don't tell anybody. <laughs> and um, so I worked there for a while while I was going through college. And, uh, you know, but at that point, again, I'm already an alcoholic Mm -hmm. and now I'm managing a bar. So now I have access to like alcohol. Right. Whenever. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to flag me. I'm the manager. Right. 
Um, I got done doing that, and I really, really went back out on the road, and I started touring, um, doing sound. And, uh, you know, at that point, um, you had basically, you know, alcohol on your rider sheet. Mm-hmm. Drugs were prevalent. Mm-hmm. And it basically just got, like, kicked into overdrive at that point. Um, you know, I think at that point... It wasn't about covering up any pain of my father. I mean, I really don't feel like I um, I dealt with that properly mm-hmm. until later on uh, in my life. But at that point, it wasn't really about that anymore. It was just I had a problem. Right. And, um, you know, it's it's one of those things where you have people around you trying to tell you you have a problem, but you really don't want to listen. So at this point, are you enjoying it or are you just doing it because you just do it now? Both. Okay. I mean, I'm the type of person, man, I, I, I could have fun at a funeral. Like I, I That try, is true. I try to make the best of every situation I can. That is true. You have um, a, a ridiculous sense of humor. I try. You do. I, mean. I know that personally. <laughs> I um so it was both, but I didn't realize how much I was getting carried away with it. Until the very end, and, um, you know, I was blacking out. Mm-hmm. And I would literally, like, wake up. And, you know, I'm going to say this, and if anybody's listening, please don't be pissed off at me or whatever, but um, because I still thank God every day mm-hmm. that I didn't kill somebody right, or myself right, because, you know, I was driving like that. And would wake up and, um, you know, be like, holy shit, dude, how did I get home? And my car would be in the driveway. Or my car would not be in the driveway. Right. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, would be in the grass or, right. you know what I mean? Um, and, it, and it's not something I'm proud of by any means, but I think it's part of my story that I need to bring up because I think I need to kind of bring up the severity of it. Right. And again, it's not something I'm proud of and I still. Pr- Thank God every day that I didn't kill anybody um, because, you know, I would would have went to jail. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's when I really started to go, okay, man, you know, this is this has gotten to a point where you're losing gaps of time. You got to get this resolved. Mm -hmm. And that's when I decided to finally get clean and sober. So in December, um, I'll have hope, hope if I make it. Right. You, you never you're never guaranteed a day. Right. Um, but I'll have 10 years. That's so. crazy. Yeah. I mean, look, it's crazy. Wonderful. Right. And, but it's also I am a, a, a firm believer of once you first get clean and sober, you need to surround yourself with people that have time. Yeah. Because those are the people that are going to help you absorb that information they're also the people that are going to help you, guide you, mm-hmm. and they're also going to be the people that are going to show you that this does work. Right. I think that, you know, um, there's people that get stuck in these cycles sometimes where they can't get out of it, but it's because, okay, yeah, you've changed your pap- people, places, and things, mm-hmm. but then you found those people again you know, whether it's in your rehab or your clean house or okay. sober house or whatever, um, 
I'm not going to mention where it was, but I went to a meeting um, with a buddy of mine who has 20-something years. Right. And him and I went to a meeting just because we were trying to find a meeting close. Right. And there was a bunch of kids in there, younger, um, 20s, I'm saying kids, but that the meeting turned into this, like, you know, excuse my French, like a dick measuring contest where it was like... Uh this is my fifth time being in rehab. This is my fourth time being in rehab. Like it was like who could outdo each other. And I went, that's, this is not good. This is not a good scenario. Right. And there was a kid there that was just out of rehab. And he was like, you know, Hey, I'm trying to find meetings and da, 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 da. We literally walked up to that kid after that meeting and said, look, man, if, if you're really serious about your sobriety, yeah, you need to get away from this meeting and you need to go find a meeting that has a bunch of old timers in it. Right. That has, you know, the, the mentors, time. more like mentors. Yeah, because, you, you know, when you first get sober or clean off of drugs, the first thing that runs through your mind is, what am I going to do for fun now? Mm. because everything you've done for the most part is associated with alcohol or drugs right like i remember i remember i don't know probably like the first two summers after i got sober i couldn't go to picnic because to me i associated holding a beer in my hand at at a picnic right like it just felt uncomfortable Mm -hmm. um as much as i was involved with music and stuff like that in my past I couldn't go to a bar to check out a band. Right. Because it was just, I wasn't ready to do that. Now, different story. Like, I could go to a bar now, and I'm not saying that anybody that is clean and sober should do this, because this is me. This is what I do. I'm not saying that anybody, that, you know. Yeah. All right. I can go to a bar now, um, as long as there's, like, if I'm shooting pool, or if I'm going to check out a band, or right. if I'm going to eat now, right. if you had put me in a scenario of, uh, let's say an Irish pub, mm-hmm. where really there's nothing to do except sit there, sling back drinks, and sit on a stool, right? not going to be a good scenario for me. I can't right. sit in a bar like that. I'm gonna eventually probably going to get bored. Mm-hmm. Um, so you and put then, yourself in those situations. Right, exactly. And that's, but you know, you have to teach yourself that. Yeah. You know, you can't, there was a, there was an old guy one time um, that was at a meeting and we were talking about living your life outside of the rooms. And he had said something to the effect of, you know, if I die and the only people that show up at my funeral are the people from AA, damn it, I said it, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Then I failed. Wow. Because I didn't live my life. I didn't learn to take all my tools in my toolbox mm-hmm. and, and live my life. Right. I lived in this bubble. And you can't. Right. So I try not to do that, you know. Um, it's hard, though. It's, I, I know it's not the same thing, but, you know, I know about your, your alcoholism. You know about my uh, nervous breakdown. When I came out of that facility, it was coming out with a lot of skills Mm -hmm. that I had to practice and doing it outside of my family. You know, like I literally had to do it in steps because to go outside of my family circle 
the outside world was terrifying because I thought, I don't know if I'm going to be able to take what I've learned and implement it out there. But the whole idea was, no, these are skills and these are tools that we're giving you so that you can live your life, create a new life that you love and, and mm. live the way you want to live. Right. And it's scary. It is scary. And I think it takes a little bit of, of uh, prodding mm-hmm. to get oh, yourself yeah. out there. But then once you do, you realize that, you know, I'm, I'm living a better life than I've ever lived. Right. And to be honest with you at this point, I mean, I, I really feel like everything that I have right now, any success I have, mm-hmm. whether it's in, uh, you know, personal life or work life or extracurricular activity life. Mm-hmm. Um, is due to the fact that I got clean and sober. Right. Because I don't, I wouldn't have accomplished anything um, had I not done that. Right. I, you know, I'm, I'm not saying I would be dead or anything like that, but I definitely would not be where I'm at right now. Um, I almost had to stop myself because I'm like, you know, it's not like I'm rich or famous. <laughs> but, no, but, but I'm living know, a good life. Like I'm yeah. living a good, clean and sober life. You've created a life that uh, you're proud of. You know, like financially, you know, I can pay my bills and do what I got to do. And you know what I mean? Like uh, it's it's weird because we, we call them like uh, sober people problems mm-hmm. or, you know, clean and sober people problems. Right. Or it's like, oh, damn it, I got to pay this bill. Right. So when you're kind of running and gunning, you don't care about any of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember there being times where it would be like, I would go to take a shower and uh, I'd have no water. Right. Oh, man, I forgot to pay the water bill. Because I would be like doing the shuffle game with my money. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that was another thing, too, is like, you know, I went from working with bands and making like pretty good, like sick money Yeah. to, I don't want to do this anymore. And I'm going to be a regular nine to fiver and, uh, making nothing. Right. I worked for, so when I first got out, nobody would hire me because I had no skills. Mm-hmm. So I worked for a painter for a while and then, um, which he, I mean, he was awesome. He treated me really good. But then I got hit by a car mm-hmm. and I couldn't really do that. Right. So I was like, I need to find a, like a nine to five job. And then um, one of the big cable companies hired me. Right. And I worked there for a while and then I kind of moved my way up through that mm-hmm. to where I'm at now. Right. You know, I mean, I'm, I don't work for them anymore, thank God. But, um, you know, but I learned skills there that I was able to like, you know, just kind of keep moving up the chain. But. You know, I started that process when I was still drinking, mm-hmm. but I feel like it excelled and it skyrocketed after I got sober. Were you so you think you were a functioning alcoholic? Were you a functioning alcoholic? Where you could hold your job down, you could do what you needed to do, but yeah, for the most part, because I wasn't one of those people that had to. Um, I paused for a second because mm. that brings up another thought, but when I. When I first thought about getting clean and sober, I went, well, I really don't have a problem. I don't, I don't wake up every day and drink. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a really funny story about that. So 
because to me, I associated with, um, you know, being an alcoholic to like my aunts and uncles that I saw yeah. where they woke up every day and they had to have like vodka and orange juice or chug a beer or mm-hmm. whatever. And I didn't have to do that. Right. At one point, I did maybe like in my 20s. Mm-hmm. And um, I took a break from drinking during that time. I wasn't clean and sober, but I took a break. You know what I mean? Right. So I but I really didn't have to do that. Um, but when I finally decided, OK, look, I, I'm actually going to go to a meeting. Um, I'm going to I'm going to see what this is about and see if I could do this. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting in the parking lot. Oh, God. <laughs> right. And I, at the time I smoked some, I'm, I'm smoking a cigarette, I'm watching all these people go into this giant church. And I'm like, OK, I'm in the right spot. Because this is pre like cell phone, uh, yeah. you know, right? <laughs> so I know it's coming. What? Oh no! I'm like, all right, man. So finally, I I, I was like, all right, dude. I toss my smoke out, and I go, I'm going in, I'm going in. Now I had just watched all these people walk in, and I'm like, I walk into this church, and I I'm like, there's nobody. And I'm looking around, I'm like, what the hell? Mm-hmm. So the way it was was like there was like a a doorway straight ahead, a door to the far left, a door to the far right, and in between were these steps. Right. And I'm looking, and I'm like, so this little old lady walks out. She's like, can I help you, honey? Mm -hmm. And I go, I don't think I'm supposed to be here. And she said, oh, honey, it's okay. Just go ahead and walk up those stairs. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Thank you. And I'm walking up the stairs and I went, oh, shit. She thought I was questioning whether I needed to be at that meeting or not. Like, do I really have a problem? Right. I was questioning, like, I just don't know where the hell I'm going. (laughs) So I'm walking up the stairs and I'm like, I could start hearing people. And then the further I get upstairs, I'm going, that's a lot of people. Like, Mm -hmm. that's a lot of people. I open up the doors and it was an anniversary meeting, and there must have been a hundred something people there. Oh no! And it was like, so it's an anniversary meeting. They all know each other. Yep. And there you are. And I open up the door, and it was like the Blues Brothers when they were at the Black Club, <laughs> and they, the record stopped because everybody turned around and looked at me, and I was like, <sighs> so I just sat down in the back row. The meeting starts, and they go through everything, and then they're like, "Is this anybody's first time here?" And it was like everybody just turned and looked, and looked at, at me because they, they knew I wasn't. But I just kind of put my head down and pretended like nothing was happening. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Mm-mm. <laughs> right? So then this lady gets up, and she—it's a speaker meeting. So she gets up and she tells her story about how she was this. Um, executive at a bank and blah 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 and she didn't drink every day but when she drank she drank on weekends and when she drank she drank and and, and would black out mm-hmm. and i went okay that's me, that's me man yeah. all right so maybe i you know and i have to be honest with you that was like the first of hundreds of signs Mm. as i went through that process yeah of whoever your higher power is because i'm not religious by any means right um i wasn't brought up that way Mm -hmm. 
And to be honest with you, I really had a problem with church and God and all that stuff because of my dad dying. Mm -hmm. And to be honest with you, there was more deaths than just my dad. You know what I mean? Like I had lost a best friend. He drowned when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there was my buddy that lived next door. He had uncles and stuff that died. Like I went through this like five year span where it was just like. Just loss after loss after loss. Could not get away from it. But as I went through the process, there were, I would always catch some sign. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to me, really that is part of the process. And, you know, it's funny because I think when I first got involved, I, I really did, um, struggle with the higher power thing, Yeah, which is a big part of it, um, with the program. Do you still go to meetings regularly? Um, not as many as I should. But you still go. Uh, but I, yeah, I okay. still go. I um cuz I know some people who were in the program and were very diligent and don't really go to the meetings anymore. And I had heard an expression called a dry drunk, and I don't know what that means, but someone said to me, "Oh, that's somebody who doesn't who doesn't go to a, who wasn't is an alcoholic and doesn't go to AA meetings anymore." But I don't, I don't know. That's why like, I'm like, I have to ask him this question. See, but to me, though, that expression is used for somebody that just quits drinking and doesn't have a program to begin with. Okay. Right off the bat. Oh, so maybe that's, that, maybe that's why they refer them as being a dry drunk because they don't go to AA meetings anymore, but they stay sober. So, you know, typically, to I, me, my uh, interpretation of that... Right. Is somebody that quits drinking mm-hmm. um, that never did a program. Okay. So now what happens is the only thing that they changed in their life was they quit drinking. Okay. They didn't rewire the other thoughts right. that go along with alcoholism. Yep, I get that. Because when you when you quit drinking, you really start to understand um how your thought pattern, what you thought was right. Right. Uh, you, you've been, you know, conned. Mm-hmm. Cunning, baffling, you know, that there's like this saying. It's true. I mean, you really don't understand how bad your, your, your way of thinking is, especially for somebody like myself that started really young, mm-hmm. which is where I think, you know, like even to this day, I'm still trying to kind of uncover pieces of my life right because the whole time i was a a, a younger uh, kid a teenager early adult those years where you're supposed to develop certain things about yourself um and, and and really like know how to deal with feelings and deal with these things and deal with that mm-hmm. you don't yeah you because you're a barren you don't grow right so when you when you go and start working a program, you start to to learn how to deal with some of those things, deal with how, you know, I need to correct my thought patterns and all this other thing. Yes, that's where the whole like there's this, you know, people that are are, are against it or whatever. And and I, to be honest with you, I don't care. Um, I'm not I'm not one of those guys that thumps it, man. Like if you get clean and sober and you did it in an alternative way. Whole, yeah, hell yeah. Right. The bottom do line it, is man. you got clean and sober. Yeah, I do not care. I'm not one of those guys that it, it has to be this way and that's the only way. 
I'm not that guy. But even those people that do some type of alternative program are, are, are dealing with those things. Right. So now you quit drinking and you don't do anything. So you still think like you used to think all you're doing is just not drinking. You want to talk about cranky and agitated people? Mm-hmm. Those are the people. So it's interesting that you say that because um, I had a lot of alcoholism in my family with my aunts and my uncles. And every one of them, as a result, you know, drinking and smoking, drinking and smoking, you know, coupled with whatever was going on in my family at the time. There was one person in my family who lived beyond the age of 69. Mm. They died at 69 or younger. So then I have some of the younger family members coming up. They realize, yeah, we got a problem. And none of us knew how bad that problem was, only they did. So they go to get help. And the interesting thing is, and, you know, I'm not ashamed to say this because I think it does happen. And it's not like I ever said it to them. But I can recall thinking at certain moments, you know what? I liked you more when you were drinking. Because they suddenly became these very philosophical, sometimes preachy. Mm. um, Well, I think on a different level than you do now type of people. Mm -hmm. And I resented the shit out of it because I was older than them. And I kind of felt like, you know, we've all been through our own stuff. I, you know, I've gotten tons of help i i don't think i come across as well you know and i i would feel guilty at the time for thinking man i liked you better when you were drunk you were a lot more fun you were happier you were more fun and now that you're saying like grumpy kind of you know it does change you Mm. in a lot of ways that people may not be able to adjust to Mm -hmm. i mean i have adjusted because certainly i want my family members sober I don't look, whoever you truly are, whatever it is, however long it takes for you to get to the point where you're comfortable with who you are. I don't care. I love you. You're my family, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and you're good. You're good people. But has that ever happened to you? Did people say, because I know you now both ways and you don't ever seem to be someone who's changed. You're the same Ken now as you were then. Yeah. Um, No, I I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly certain that there's certain things about me that changed i i know that um i hope that's not an insulting question but just from my like from the point of view someone who's looking in at it so you when you and this is one of those things where um you know i think everybody out there that that's gotten clean and sober can attest to this Mm -hmm. when that happens you realize um you will lose friends yeah and and part of that is because you know, maybe some of those friends were attached to you only for those reasons. Right. For the drinking, running, and gunning reasons. I think you'll lose some of those friends because now um, you might have a different outlook on things. Right. And I'm sure there's a handful of people out there that, you know, quit talking to me or whatever because they felt like I, I you know, my personality changed, which I, I you know, I tried not to. I don't really, I change that. personally, I don't, you know, I, I don't, we haven't seen each other. It's not like we see each other all the time, mm-hmm. but every time I do see you, you're the same. It's Ken. You know, this is just Ken. I know after my nervous breakdown and after mm-hmm. kind of building myself back up, I did, I lost friends. And they said to me, well, you're different. 
And for me, my thing was, I don't think that I'm different. I just don't think that you're accustomed to me having boundaries or saying something when I don't like it. So there's always going to be that, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't think, I think that no matter what you change about yourself, there's right. always going to be that because right. there's going to be people that are so used to the the old way of you doing things. And, mm -hmm. and then when you change whatever for the better. Yes. Sometimes for the worse. Yeah. I mean, let's uh, look at it on the flip side of that. Look at the people that change their life for the worse. Right. And then all of a sudden you quit hanging out with them because yeah. now they're just, you know, a bad element in your mm -hmm. life and you got to cut them off. Right. So it's it's the same thing. I mean, it, it, I, I, it can happen both ways. Mm-hmm. For sure. Okay. I'm I mean, I really curious. never actually thought of it that way, but I could see that being both ways. It's a two-way street. Because I do see alcoholism as now I have a boundary. Mm -hmm. And if at a certain point you can't respect that boundary, then where do we go from here? I will say, though, that I don't remember having any um, situations where friends were um, trying to force, right. oh, come on, man, have a drink, have a drink. Right. Um. Were you comfortable around people who still drank? Are you comfortable around people who drink? I am now. Okay. I am not comfortable now with the people that get sloppy drunk. Well, but it's not a comfort level. It's a I'm annoyed at you level. And the funny thing is, is the people that know me that from back then, and when I say that, and I'm like, oh, my God, dude, that guy's so annoying, dude. Mm -hmm. I got to get away from and they were like, oh, that was you, dude. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. You know what I mean? Because you don't really take a look at yourself. Yeah. And I'm like, damn it. Okay. Oh, well, sorry. So I mean, I remember, I remember, you know, I talked about like having gaps of time. Right. And, you know, I really remember times drinking and doing stupid shit. But. I also remember at one point going home and hanging out at the bar with, you know, guys that I hung out with and we were pretty drunk mm -hmm. and there's girl walks in the bar and I was like, wow, that girl's really pretty hot. Mm -hmm. And they're like, dude, you dated her in high school. And I'm like, wow, really? Like I don't, <laughs> I, so she ran up to hug me and I was smoking a cigarette and my mouth was so dry that the cigarette stuck to my... To your lip? Yeah. So I went like that, and it just, like, slid. Mm -hmm. And she hugged me, and I, my cigarette went right, right between her eyes. And I realized it, and I wanted to smack it off because the cherry stuck to her head. Uh-huh. Oh, God. And then it fell on her sweater. She had, like, a white cashmere sweater on. And now I'm... I know. I felt like I the can't. biggest asshole. I mean, she walked away from me and didn't even like talk to me. Yeah. And I was just like, like, you know what I mean? Like stupid shit like that. Yeah. Where you're like, how do you, did you not know that it was time? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I get that. What do you think about being, uh, I'm going to ask the ooh, question. Okay. What do you think about pot being legalized? Okay. Do you think it's a gateway drug, like people say? No. You don't really. I don't think so. I think if you're going to do other drugs, you're going to do other drugs. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Okay. I, I, ha I have to look at this from two perspectives, okay? Tell me. 
I think it should be legalized because I believe that there are plenty of guys that are coming over from Iraq, Afghanistan, probably now UK, uh, you know, that have been in some stuff that we're never even going to fathom. Mm-hmm. That it's been proven to help them with PTSD. Okay. I also know that there are medicinal uses for people with cancer, other things, pain. Right. Where it does help them. Right. So as far as that goes, absolutely should be legal. Now, you know, if you belong to the other side of the house with the programs... I even think that those guys are divided Mm. because there's people in there that are like, look, no, man, absolutely not. If it's mind altering, it's bad. No, can't do it. But I think there's other people over there that are in that program that are like, you know, chronic pain and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, you know what? But if I do this, I'm not taking Oxycontin or Percocets or whatever, Vicodin or, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I mean, I do think it should be legal. Because there are more benefits than there are negatives. Okay. I've also never seen anybody smoke weed and get into a fist fight. I've seen somebody... plenty of people drink and get thrown down like it's nobody's business. But do you think you can find a couple of people who've smoked too much and got into a car accident? Absolutely. And killed someone? You know what? I could probably show you five people that took too much cough medicine and wrecked their car. Right. I mean, like... I'm playing devil's advocate no, here, by the are, way. I'm, 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 I don't want it to sound. I don't want it to sound like I'm. I'm giving my opinion one way or no, the no, other because no, no. I'm not. <laughs> and I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate. I'm perfectly fine with with you doing that because. Because there are people pre- now who say that. Right, you know? you're going to present arguments from the other side that I'm more than willing to answer. Right. Um, I feel like there's way too much benefit out of it than there is a negative. Um. Again, I've never really seen anybody, you know, smoke weed and get into fistfights and cause chaos. I've seen plenty of people get drunk at a bar mm-hmm. and complete chaos breaks loose. Right. Let me put it to you this way. Please. I'm going to give you a couple different scenarios here. Okay. Do you know that we are one of only two countries in the world that actually promotes with ads pharmaceuticals? I do think I I either heard that or saw that somewhere, read it somewhere, I think, because it doesn't shock me. It's us in New Zealand. Okay. We're the only two countries in the world that actually promote pharmaceuticals. Right. Why is it okay, knowing that alcohol is a problem, mm-hmm. that liver damage breaks up families, mm-hmm. causes chaos, kills people, right. people die from it. Mm-hmm. But you can turn on a Sunday football, mm-hmm. and they're glorifying it like it's you know right. the coolest thing ever. Actually, I I think probably till this day, I'm not gonna say I think I know till this day, it still bothers me at Christmas time mm. because Christmas time you'll start to see ads for Crown Royal, like there'll be right. hundreds of different ads where they're going to parties and they're making it look like this great thing Mm -hmm. and i know the 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 bad part of it right the the, damage it did you know what i mean like i don't understand how we can glorify one thing and then condemn another now 
I'm not going to be one of those people that's going to go completely, you know, far, whatever. Right. I don't know what side it would be. Yeah, I know. I don't think it matters at this point. (laughs) Like, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to agree with like what's going on in Oregon Mm -hmm. where everything's legal. Right. I think there's still certain things that you probably should control. Yeah. Um, I'm even going to go as far as saying that I'm, I'm, uh, from the research I've done and obviously I'm not any expert or uh, research scientist, mm-hmm. but things that I've seen so far, I'm going to say I'm even a proponent for, uh, people that are doing microdosing for, with mushrooms. Okay. It's known to help people with anxiety, mm-hmm. depression, mm-hmm. um, PTSD for sure. Right. Okay, well, if I can give somebody a microdose of that every day mm-hmm. and not give them this cocktail of pharmaceuticals that makes them feel like shit. Right. And makes them want to throw up or, or whatever and fix them, I would rather give them that. You know what I mean? Like, to me, that's like, look, I think no matter what you do, you can take it to an extreme. Whether 100%. it's alcohol, weed, shrooms, uh, pharmaceuticals. pharmaceuticals. <laughs> I mean, yeah. hey, nothing for nothing, but um, I don't know, 25 years ago, there was nobody in meetings that, uh, you know, uh, it was kind of like the, the lower end of society that was in those meetings. Mm-hmm that were addicted to cocaine and heroin and all these other things. But now because of the secular family, right. You can go into one of those meetings and there's grandmoms and doctors and lawyers and right. maybe even your town police chief mm-hmm. because, you know, they got hurt at work and or had back surgery or whatever. And the doctors were, yeah, just take these, take these, take these. The last person I was involved with, who you know, in mm. that long relationship, he was given oxycodone like it was candy for his foot. And yeah, I mean, it happened to me. Um, and it, I think that was part of part of the problem as well. Yeah. That happened between us. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Because it's, you know, I think that back then um, they were just... Not only, well, I mean, I don't know if you saw the, the painkiller thing on, on I Netflix. Yeah. I mean, do you, you yeah. see that they were promoting it. Yeah. But oh, yeah. they thought they, I think there were doctors that thought they were doing the right thing. I, I absolutely think there were doctors who thought they were doing the right thing. I don't think that they were all just doing it because they got something for it. I think they genuinely, I think a, a large percentage of them felt like they were helping their patients to be able to reduce their pain and live their life. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think they anticipated it was going to be um, the epidemic that it turned into. That That's just the feeling that I got watching it. Yeah. I mean, you can't even watch TV now without there being like every other ad, some type of uh, pharmaceutical. Mm. And then, you know, whether you catch it or not, I mean, you look at some of the side effects are worse than the original thing you're treating. Yeah. So, why would I want to take that? You know, and, and it's just, it blows my mind. 
how much that that is 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 kind of really wrapped up into our society on on multiple levels that yeah. we'll never even you and I, you know, as the average Joe people, we're never going to fully understand. I mean, the amount of control that those people have. I agree. And look, you know, I feel like again, there's multiple ways for people to um, get over their addictions. Mm-hmm. You know. I, I'm not a you have to do it this way or not type of person. As long as you're doing it, uh, I'm I'm proud of you. If anybody hasn't told you that today, I'm proud of you. Well, before we wrap it up, mm-hmm. I do want to, you know, you came full circle with so many things, and now you have your own show. Yeah, yeah. So, Tattoos and review. Yeah, I'm uh, dipping my toe into the uh, YouTube world trying to um youtube podcast everything yeah yeah um it's been pretty cool it's um it's pretty eye-opening the amount of effort and uh work that goes into it well tell everybody the premise of what you're doing which i think is great by the way yeah so um i happen to be uh friends with a lot of tattoo artists i'm you know i partake heavily tatted I thought it would be a great idea to have a show podcast whatever you want to call it where um I would go and interview tattoo artists mm-hmm. that, you know, maybe don't have the exposure of some of the big name people that are on TV. Right. Um, this way, you know, you happen to be looking for somebody in your area or whatever that you want to get a tattoo from. You could watch an episode and you kind of get the gist of their attitude, uh, you know, their personality, what type of work they do. Right. You know, some of the people talk about how they charge. You know, some people charge by the hour. Some people charge by the piece. Right. There's all these cool little questions that I try to answer or ask um, for each of the artists. So this way, somebody who's a viewer might, you know, see an episode and go, you know what? That would be a great fit for me. Right. Because I really feel like, um, you know, there's there the, the market is actually saturated with tattoo artists right now. Right. And I feel like that there's people out there that, you know, might not know somebody that's 20 minutes away, 30 minutes away. That's a fantastic artist. Yeah. And they would go and see my show and say, holy cow, man, that guy's 20 minutes away. I'll drive 20 minutes away to get that tattoo. Right. Instead of the guy in my town that's, you know, eh. Mm -hmm. and and that's, you know, look. It's options. You're giving them better options. And And this isn't to bash anybody tattoo wise because i think there is somebody out there for everyone right there's people out there that like traditional tattoos there's people that like realism tattoos you know what i mean some people like black and gray some people like color i'm trying to give examples of everything on my show i'm giving examples of you know younger people that are you know a couple years in the business Mm -hmm. and then all the way to the extremes of you know some of the tattoo legends right um, you know, some of the, I'm saying legends, but you know, locally they are, those, mm-hmm. those guys have been tattooing for 35, 40 years. Right. Very well known. Right. And it's kind of cool to see the difference of perspective Yeah. from somebody that's newer, that's just starting out and the guys that have been there mm-hmm. tattooing for 40 years and also how those guys that have been tattooing that long have evolved, yeah. have changed. Because the industry's changed a lot in in a short period of time, whether it's the machines they use, the inks they use, um, 
the flash they use, social media. Right. There's, it's a whole new ball game. The internet is just blowing everything up, no matter what you're looking at. Right, exactly. You know, it's it's bringing light to a lot of different industries, which is cool. Well, I have watched it and I've enjoyed it. Thank you. And I only I have tried. one little tiny black tattoo that I hate. But you know what? But. That's why it's cool. <laughs> it's for everybody. You don't I definitely have to could be. have used you ten years ago when I was like, I this is what I want. I just you know want, what? Let me just walk in here. We <laughs> all have one of those. Yeah. Um, you know, some of us get them covered up. Some of us wear them like a badge of honor. I mean, it's not terrible, but it's, it's not, not necessarily what I wanted. But thank you so much for coming on. No, thank the whole you for conversation. having me. And I'm so I happy about this show. No, that's okay. Well, <laughs> well, you know, but to me, that's how you learn from people when you listen and you know, you take their experiences and what they know, and you walk out of the room knowing something a little bit more than you did when you started. Yeah, no, I appreciate you having me. This has been cool. All right. I remember talking to you into trying to do this. So that's you, you did. Yes. Yeah. I called you. I was like, I I'm thinking about doing this. And you were like, jump into it. And I said, Okay, yeah, I think I'm gonna do that. So uh when I'm ready to get another tattoo, <laughs> I'll yeah. I'll watch your show and then I'll just uh I'll hey Ken. So what do you think? Yeah, for sure. All right, doll. Thanks so much. Thank you, I appreciate it. All righty.